This is Forum. I'm John Michaels, Public Affairs Radio Director since 1977, as uh, we're going to be talking a little about Sioux Falls and Haiti. Bruce L. Bloomer is, I want to make sure you get that right, B-L-U-M-E-R. You're from the organization in Sioux Falls called Haiti Alive in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yeah, actually, we're actually based out of T, South Dakota, but yeah, That's good uh, enough. kind of our sub- suburb of Sioux Falls. But yeah, we started an organization um, actually a, a 10 years ago, and it's called Haiti Alive. And it's an organization that's worked in Haiti for the last 10 years. And, you know, we started small, started to try to just help a few people where we could, and the organization's really grown. And I can give you a little background on that or how, whatever, uh, what you find it, like more, most helpful, I guess. Why Haiti? I went on my first trip to Haiti in 2003, and then I didn't go back again till 2008. Um, we went to, it was actually through our church in Mitchell, and our, our pastor at that time was really interested in Haiti. And so I went on a mission trip kind of naively, just thinking, well, it'd be an adventure to see what's going on. And we met this young man, his name was William, and he wanted to become a doctor. He was actually an orphan. He was living with his uncle, who was a pastor, and this little island that we were working on. And so we went back to our church, and our church supported him, and, and we actually got him started in medical school. Well, my second trip to Haiti was in 2010, and that was the, that was the big earthquake that year. We had a very interesting time uh, trying to get home, and it obviously was a was an experience that impacted me. And I just had this really deep feeling that we needed to do something. Um, and so we started this organization just very simply. We just tried to help some people and we could. We, we started some kids with school scholarships and we sent some money for medicine. We tried to feed people when we could. And then it's just grown. It's grown over the years. And we just try to, uh, when we have funds available, we just try to make sure that we are responding to what the needs of the people are. We were talking before we started the program about uh, a farmer from Flandreau uh, has done uh, a lot in Nicaragua through baseball and softball, and that's right. become an international organization. Right. Uh, these things do uh, grow. Yeah, and you know we we've just tried to grow as people have provided funds for us, and we've had funds available. Um, you know, I went back to to this. There's an island out in the ocean. It's called uh, Laganov. It's about 50 miles northwest of of Port-au-Prince. It's a it's a 40 by 10 mile island that sits out in the ocean. So it has some unique challenges just getting getting materials there and food there and things like that. And so, but when I go to Laganov, I feel like it's South Dakota. I, it's rural. It's it's more laid back. Um, Port-au-Prince is a big city. I can't wait to get out of Port-au-Prince. But when I'm in Laganov, I feel like I'm in South Dakota. It's laid back. It's rural. And that's where I've uh, felt connected. So I said that I kind of said at the beginning, I, uh, we went to the earthquake in 2010. In 2011, I went back to the island and I just said, I want to interview as many people as I can to ask them the simple question, if we could help, what do you need? And it was just overwhelming from the people. We need support in education, health care, and how difficult life is for women, children, and the elderly. And that's been our focus since the beginning. We wrote a book. I did. It's Not My Problem or Is It? From Nudge to Nonprofit. And, uh, Bruce, you have a picture of a, a lovely uh, senior lady mm-hmm. who's got a smile but uh, and and. You can see the concern in their eyes. Yeah, I, that's how the picture. I that's exactly how the picture hit me too. It's it's a smile on the face, but a concern in the eyes. And so, and that's what I see in the people there. People are are fun. They like to joke. They love like to 
like to come and to be with you. But on the other side, there's a lot of pain in their lives and there's a lot of um, sadness and there's a lot of hunger uh, and they do need help from, from other people and from other organizations. Well, just kind of thumbing into the first pages I come across hate type reflection. Uh, I want you to go through this. Yeah. So this was uh, something I wrote after the earthquake. Um, Today, I weep for the people of Haiti. I weep for a place where the people won't eat today, where children won't go to school this year, where someone will die today because there's no medical care, where people will wander looking for work or for hope or for shade, where we could help. We're worried about $4 gas while a child starves. We're worried about the stock market while a woman dies in childbirth. We're worried about higher prices at the restaurant while a family eats mud. We're worried about road construction detours when someone can't find clean water to drink. We're worried about the meaningless. We respond with nickels and dimes. We watch candidates spend millions to be elected and don't act on the behalf of real need. We listen to athletes gripe about salaries that equal Haiti's gross national product. We waste a yearly Haitian salary at a casino. We build new houses and take vacations and get the latest electronics while someone won't eat today, while a child won't go to school, while someone will wander homeless, while someone will die today where we could help. Bruce, there's two words I, I heard there, hope and also meaningless. Uh, people look for meaning in what they do. Uh, we're at the, you know, the, the cusp of the new year where people are looking for uh, New Year's resolutions. Some, sure. Some are waiting. This, you know, it's all about me, me, me. Uh, if you want meaningful, uh, it's to how can you help others? Right. And of course, there's there's people you know right here, but I, I think um, where people are, uh, if if you look at the New Testament, mm-hmm. it didn't matter what country you were in. Right. It, it applies to all. Uh, Bruce, the uh, uh, aspect of this is a church that is behind this right a little bit originally it was a church in mitchell now it's a separate actually mm-hmm. a separate nonprofit. and tell us about that nonprofit. and is it just you or yeah actually it is just me we have a board here mm-hmm. uh, we have a board of say eight people um i don't know how to hunt and fish and so this is what i do this is my kind of my okay. hobby and the things that i enjoy doing or whatever um but what i would say to kind of your first part of your question is at the end of the book what i really encourage people is to do good somewhere um I have gotten connected to Haiti because I love the people. There's great need there. There are people that are truly starving, truly hungry there. There's a people that need education and health care. Um, but I encourage people to do good somewhere. And so occasionally I'll get a call or get a conversation with somebody. They'll say, well, we have hungry people here. Why don't you help the people here? And my response to that is, well, you must feel called to help those people here. Why don't, you, why don't you feed the people here? Why don't you provide for them? And I'll provide for the people in Haiti. But what I find a lot is that sometimes people ask that question because they don't want to do anything anywhere. They're not going to help here or, or somewhere else. And so I just encourage people to do good somewhere. If you're interested in your church, do good in your church. If you're interested in, in helping feed people, then go to organizations that feed people. If you're interested in housing, go to those organizations and support those organizations that house people. Just do good somewhere. And then we also, you know, hoping that some people support us while we're doing good for people in, the, in a country that's really not that far away from us. We often um, don't have very good uh, images of Americans 
uh, in other parts of the world. But what you're doing uh, leaves such an impression that uh, they will know what America, or at least South Dakota, what T South Dakota is all about. Um, you've done a lot of construction. We have, you know, we again, like I said, we started really small. Um, we we started with just a handful of scholarships, and then in 2017, I had this really naive idea that we should build a school, and so it's named after my best friend. Uh, it's called the Rob Marchand Institute, and we started with just five classrooms as we had money available. Well, we put three classrooms in a principal's office. And we were going to add one grade a year. Well, all of a sudden we were out of classrooms. And so we had to build a second level to the school. And so now that that is uh, the school is full. We have grades uh, kindergarten through nine. And we also have uh, we feed the kids every day. We have a principal office. We have a nurse on staff. And so we have this beautiful school that serves about 200, a little over 200 kids. And that construction was about 99% done by local Haitian people because we just wanted to provide them the funds so they could have pride in their work, but also so they'd have money to feed their own families. Yeah, they get the satisfaction of saying, I built that. Exactly. And there, and really, a lot of it was we've hired the right people to train them as workers and construction people. So they also came away with a skill. So they learned how to, how to build, how to put block together, how to make cement, and how to, how to build this building. You were teaching them to fish. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then the other big project that we started actually just this last year is I've always kind of had it in my heart that we needed to do something for women. Um, women have a very difficult life there. They often are responsible for caring for all their kids. The father often isn't around. And so there's just a lot of responsibility on their, on their shoulders. And so we started a women's village. Um, we had a very generous donor that, that bought a, a large section of land for us. And we've built now almost 50 homes. And these are individual homes for women and their children, their families, so they can live safely. Um, so where some of those people are living was just just a deplorable. And so we're providing very safe homes for these women and their children. Well, T. South Dakota was a village at one time, but you went and actually built a village. Yeah, and that, it's really been great to see it. The other thing that's kind of interesting about it is that we actually put flush toilets in the homes. They have four homes will share a septic system, and we have water on the, we have a well, so we have water so we can provide them water so they can flush their toilets. But we actually had to have a team teach the women how to use a flush toilet because most of them and their families have never even seen a flush toilet before. And so, again, we wanted to provide a safe place. And a women's village wanted the, the women and their children to be able to, to use the restroom and shower facilities inside a home so they'd have a safe place to uh, safe place to be and so it's really been wonderful to see that whole project come together um i haven't actually been to haiti for a couple years now it's the political climate and the the port-au-prince is just a mess right now it's just lots of kidnapping going on and there's just no stability there sounds like new york yeah (laughs) well i'm hoping to go down early in the new year um, because i haven't been there for a couple years but i really need to get back just to kind of encourage the people and see what's going on check in on all their projects but we have to be really careful because we haven't been able to bring teams for three years 
part of that was COVID, but most of it is the instability in the government there. And um, I had a conversation uh, this last week or a couple weeks ago with a, uh, another one of the Haiti organizations, and it's really been hard for our for our ministries when we can't bring teams because when we bring a team, then they become your cheerleaders. They're coming back and they're saying, "Hey, this is a neat project. It isn't just something we made up. Um, there's real good good things that are going on, and they become the cheerleaders for your ministry." So if you haven't been able to bring them for a couple of years, it really it, it's it's difficult. It's been a difficult couple of years. Again, the book, It's Not My Problem, or Is It? From Nudge to Nonprofit, Bruce uh, L. Bloomer. Um, we have a story on the back here about an elderly woman in a plastic bag. Yeah, let me, you know, so, and I would just say the book is available on Amazon. I donate all, all the profits from the book to our ministry. Um, but one of the, one of the times that we went on our trip to Haiti, um, we had a woman that came, well, let, let me back up. So we had given out food and clothing to this, to women and elderly during the day. And that night, a woman came to our compound, and she knocked at the gate, and she wanted to see me. And so she, I came to the gate, and she offered me this bag. And inside the bag were, it was seeds. It was, they have a tree that's kind of like our honey locust with those long pods. Mm-hmm. And she'd taken the seeds out of the, out of that, all of those pods, and she put it in a bag and given it to me. Well, it was a gift and a thanks for the food that she'd and the items that she'd received that today or during that day. And so it just really hit me, you know, we all have something to offer. We all have something to give. Now, some people can only offer a bag of seeds, but most of us can offer more than that. And so we all, I think we're all called to do good someplace and to give back at least a little bit of what we have uh, to give that to others and to share that with others. And so, um, you know, something as simple as a bag of seeds became very impactful for me because it was it was given in thanks and recognition of what we had been able to provide for her and her family. That's going to be a mantra, do something somewhere. Right. Um, the nudge to do something. Right. Uh, the nudge will grow into more. Uh, you have a quote on one of the pages, I laughed every day, I cried every day, I hoped every day, I prayed every day for a way. Right. Uh, this gives true meaning to what you read in the New Testament. Yeah, and it really, it really was. And we, you know, we're we are a Christian organization. We don't um, that that we we are born out of a church, but we also are trying to just live that out. Uh, as I think Jesus would live, was there's a thing that's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which is preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. And so we really want to make sure that we're helping the people. And when I went on that trip, it was in 2011, I just, I was, that was when I was meeting with all these groups and trying to ask them what they needed. And really what I said, what I said, it was just, it was so impactful. I knew that we needed to do something. I had no idea it was going to grow into a nonprofit. And so there's a segment of the book kind of like how it grew into a nonprofit and and honestly, not everything should become a nonprofit. And I kind of go through that. I spent about 20 years of my life in nonprofit world and and uh, in that whole fundraising world. And so not every good idea should become a nonprofit. Hopefully you can work through other organizations. But if you do decide, I do have in the book a little bit about how do you do become a nonprofit and what are some of the kind of the pitfalls and one of the things to look out for. But what what my book kind of talks about is how I had this nudge and how that nudge then grew into a nonprofit. 
and you teach how to make a nonprofit in your book. It is. Yeah. It, it at least outlines how how we got there, and then also kind of like, hey, this is what you need to do. I mean, you need to. There are some responsibilities if you are a nonprofit. Um, I also talk about in the book that my nudge actually kind of started when I between my junior and senior of high school, I actually went to Ghana as an exchange student. And I live with a family, and I'm just trying to figure out what what it was, you know, what the world was like there. But what I realized, it just really changed me from the core. It's just I saw the world differently. You know, I'm a kid of the plains. I grew up in a small town in South Dakota, 99% white. I mean, it was a it was just such a different experience for me. And so it really, really, what I've kind of looked at in retrospect is that it changed me from the core. It changed how I see the world differently, so then I can maybe help other other people uh, in the way that I could feel like I can help them. Yeah, when I was young, I went to Spain, but I also, you know, went over to Morocco. And when you mm-hmm. first see the toilet, that's when your your image changes quite yes. a bit. <laughs> it's a hole in the ground, you know. Yep. Um, right. Tell us, uh, uh, when did you first go to Haiti? How long ago was that? Yeah, so I my first trip was in 2003. It was I went to the northern part of Haiti, and we built a church, and we did, did some uh, did some painting and things like that. And then I I had a few years that I wasn't able to go again until 2008. Well, 2008 was the first time I went to this island of Laganov, and I just got connected there. Like I said, it just felt like home. It felt much more rural. I just really enjoyed the people. And then I've been back. Uh, you know, in 2010 was the earthquake year. Since then, I've been back almost every year since then. Um, like I said, I haven't been there for a couple of years now just because of the instability in Port-au-Prince. And it's just, it's just frankly a mess there right now. Tell and us so, about the earthquake. What's that? Tell us about the earthquake. Yeah. The, actually, the book really goes through this in great detail. But we're, we're in a medical clinic. We're working on this island. And uh, I was actually walking just outside the clinic, and I heard this rumble. And at first I thought, What's, it sounded like a train. And I thought, well, there aren't trains in Haiti. And so we all went out in this big courtyard area, this big field, and we thought, oh, that's kind of cool. We, we made it through our first earthquake. Um, and then we had a very large um, aftershock, and so we didn't go back into the clinic that day. And so we actually didn't find out for a couple days later how big the earthquake was. So like I said, Laganov is pretty rural, pretty pretty laid back. So they didn't have all the big buildings and things like that. So we didn't realize all the damage and all the death and destruction that had happened in Port-au-Prince. My son actually went into the village he got on the computer and he talked to some people uh, in, in some different ministries, and he came back and he said, wow, Dad, it's bad. And so we didn't have all that death and destruction. We just had to get back through it to get home. Um, I say this a lot, but our families bore all the pain because we were safe. We had food. We had water, but we couldn't communicate with them that we were safe. So while you guys and my our families were seeing all these terrible images of all the uh, the terrible death and destruction in Port-au-Prince, we were fine. We just couldn't communicate that with with them, and so we had a difficult time getting home. It's kind of a long story about how we how we got home. Um, but we did. We're able to get back, and then in 2011, I went back by myself and kind of like, like I described before. Um, my dad has this quote that he said, "You know, I talked to people on your team, and most of the te- people on the team said never again. I'll never go back." And that you said, talking about me, I have to do something. And so, it, you know, I don't know if it was that what happened in Ghana with my the, kind of that core, if it was the way I was up, brought up. 
but it changed me to say I needed to do something. And I had no idea it would grow into a nonprofit. I had no idea it would be to this level where we have a school, we have, you know, we have two clinics, we've built 50 homes, we have feeding programs. We just had a Christmas program where we get, had a, fed over 1,100 kids and had a, a Christmas program and toy for them and things like that. I had no idea it would grow into this. Um, but it's we just grown as kind of God has provided for us and, and people have provided funds for us to do ministry where we can. When we see a, a natural, you know, disaster here, of course, you know, we got all this rescue and all of this, uh, you know, plans and, and uh, things that come to bear. But, uh, you know, in, in Haiti, there's, then there's no electricity, there's nothing. Yeah, and it was a weird, it was a very strange time because we were sitting in this on this island. We could see actually the, the rescue planes coming in. We saw the boat, the surgery boats that came in, the, the boats, the providing. And there was an incredible response from across the world. But there's only one international airport and there's only one runway. And so the logistics of getting all those supplies in were, were just incredible. Um, I tell a story in the book about when we got to the airport, um, we actually, there was an Amway jet that flew in. They brought in surgeons and we got our team on the Amway jet and to fly back. So I was walking over to the gate where the, they were going to be able to get out. Well, the, the gate was just crushed with people because they knew there was food and water and supplies there. And I talked to one of the guards there and I said, what's going on? He says, we're going to have to close the gate. He says, it's just falling apart. And so it, it was, it was a hard time for everybody at that time. You know, they were trying to get as much food and supplies in to help the people, but the people re- realized where the food and all the supplies were coming from. So they wanted to be at the airport and it just was a really difficult situation. And, um, so the guy from Amway said, get on the plane, fly back. We'll, we'll figure it out. And so, um, there was, there was a lot of great response from the United States and across the world to, to help the people during, after the earthquake. And, and honestly, um, there's been a lot of support from the United States and organizations since. Talking to Bruce uh, Bloomer of T South Dakota and what a nudge led to a nonprofit to uh, Haiti. Haiti. Haiti yeah. um, so you actually saw the doctors beyond borders uh, uh, results of, of that organization too. Yeah, you know, there's there's been some great organizations. Um, there on the island, there's actually only one hospital, and um, there it's it's actually provided by the Wesleyan Church, but they would bring in really talented doctors that would come in to that that. Uh, hospital and do surgeries and provide for for people. So we've seen, you know, um, a number of organizations that have provided wonderful care across across the country. So your nonprofit, what is your goal today? Uh, you've got New Year's resolutions. What would it be? Well, that's a good question. You know, I think um, one of the things that keeps me up at night now is that we've built all this stuff. How do we continue to support it? And so just so people know about our organization, uh, they can go to HaitiAlive.org, and you can find out more about that. If you follow us on Facebook, look up Haiti Alive. I'm more uh, more regular about uh, posting things on Facebook. Oh, just look up Haiti Alive on Facebook. You can follow. We, we have a bunch of you know, pictures of our Christmas program, of our housing, of the children's, of the women's village. I'm just trying to let people know we exist. And if that's something that touches people's hearts, we certainly need support. Like I said, what keeps me up at night is like, how do we support all this? It's gotten, our school's gotten expensive. We feed the kids every day. We try to feed the elderly. We try to keep the, we're trying to build some more homes in in the women's village. Um, And so if people are interested, I hope they will contact me to find out more information. 
Well, people are listening on a Sunday morning, uh, getting up, maybe it's their alarm clock, they're getting up, getting dressed, having breakfast, driving to church. Uh, maybe they'll get together and talk about this. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, what one person from T South Dakota has done. But, uh, you know, you don't have to say, okay, we're going to go in and, and, and build a whole village. You can say, okay, I can donate some money for so many shingles or for exactly you know, yeah. or you know the other thing is i you know I, I i speak at churches i preach at churches i i talk to community groups and so if they're if you're thinking you know what i'd like to learn more i have this group in my my town or this this uh community group that gets together um i just did a program a couple of programs in sioux falls i'm always eager to do that because the more i get um people to understand about our ministry the more support that we get well, you've written many examples of It's Not My Problem, or Is It, from Nudge to Nonprofit, Bruce Al Bloomer from T South Dakota. But right now, what is the kind of the one thing that makes all of this worthwhile that you remember? You know, for sure, it's the connection with the people. Um, you know, we, Dr. William and I have become very close. I consider him like a son. Uh, we've had some knockdown, drag out fights, and we've had times that we've hugged each other and, and everything in between. But I, commu- I communicate with him almost every day um, to make sure that the, everything is working well with the ministry. And, you know, it's like the kind of like I, I talked about before people say, well, why do you work in Haiti? It's because that's where I feel called to work, and that's where I feel connected. Um, it, I feel like it's my brothers and sisters there. It's my family there. And so that's where I want, the, I want to support the people um, because I know they, they have need, and they do appreciate what we've done for them. It's, not, it's, it's more than just a, a cruise ship stop at Port-au-Prince, uh, <laughs> uh, which right now probably isn't much of a, a stop for a, a cruise ship. I yeah, imagine, there is actually a stop in the northern part of Haiti on the north edge, um, by the north edge of the country. Uh, one of the cruise ships actually stops there, and it's a beautiful island, but it's a very highly protected uh, area with you know fences and, and guards and so forth. But there, it is a beautiful Caribbean island, and it, I guess I would leave people with that too, is that it is a beautiful Caribbean island. I'm not sure I'd encourage encourage you to travel there right now uh, to go to the country, uh, to go through Port-au-Prince right now. But it is a beautiful place. There are wonderful, caring, uh, beautiful people that live there. Well, Bruce, uh, from T-South Dakota to Haida, how do you get there and how long does it take? And, and So it usually takes now a couple days to get there. Um, you have to, there's only one flight that goes in on the morning. And so you usually have to fly to Miami or Fort Lauderdale, stay overnight, then take an early morning flight. Um, because Laganov is an island, it takes longer to get there. We used to be able to drive up and take a boat across. Now it's not safe to do that. So I'm going to actually fly to a different town and then take a boat across. And so, um, it, it takes, it, it's a little hard to get there. And that's why a lot of international organizations haven't worked in Laganov. It's just the logistics of getting to those islands, getting to the island of Laganov has been very difficult. Um, and so there are some ministries that have pulled out. And, and frankly, a lot of international organizations right now, because it's not safe, they have pulled their international staff. Uh, they're, they're just not safe for those staff to be there right now. How big, uh, how, what's the population of Haiti? Yeah, the whole country, I think it's about 4 million people for the whole country. Um, on this island, there's, a, like I said, it's a 40 by 10 mile island. There's about 100,000 people that live on the island. Um, most of them live in the town that we work in. It's called Ansagale. It's kind of on the north part of the west, the east, the north, northeast part of the, of the island. That's the largest city, and uh, almost all of the people live in that area. 
the island the population about half the size of Sioux Falls, and they're not getting 7,000 people moving in every year. No, they're not. Oh. No, in fact, there, a lot of the people are moving out, mm-hmm. unfortunately. They're trying to get everything they can to get to other countries because of the safety issues that are there. But a farmer from South Dakota could relate to the agriculture community of, of that island. They could. I mean, actually, up in the mountain, they call it the mountain just in the higher elevations of the island. They grow corn. They grow peanuts. Uh, they grow different kinds of beans. They actually take the peanuts and make them into peanut butter with a little spice and things like that. Um, they do have uh, lots of goats. A lot of people raise goat. Not a lot of cattle just because they need a lot of water, and there's just not a lot of fresh water on the island. Um, a lot of chicken. Um, those are goats and obviously fish because it's in an ocean. But that's the main kind of crops that people would, would run there. Well, I imagine they don't have $100,000 tractors, but what is, a farm, what is a farm like? Yeah, it's it's all hand hand farming. They're very they're kind of self-sustaining plots. Most people the way they support themselves is they grow something and then they sell it at the market. And so they'll have a little they'll have a little uh, plot of corn and or beans and then they'll they'll harvest that and sell it. They also have um, mangoes, the wonderful mangoes, watermelon, um, papaya. They have those kinds of fruits like that or wonderful banana, plantain, um, and then. The other thing that that's happened in the country is they do a lot of people sell charcoal and they they defor they cut the trees down put them in a big kind of dirt pile that that is on fire for a couple of weeks and they dig that up and, and they use the charcoal uh, for for cooking. Unfortunate things that happen is that they do cut a lot of their trees down. They've kind of deforested their country, but it's hard to tell them not to do that because that's how they're making their money. Well, when people think of Haiti, what do you want them to think? Well, first of all. It's a beautiful Caribbean country, um, but it's also a place of great need. It's not to mitigate we don't have hungry people here, but people there don't eat every day um, or they eat one meal a day. There are people in great need, and it's a very difficult time uh, in the country and especially in Lagunov because all that food has to be brought over from Port-au-Prince. Um, prices are extremely high. Uh, people are really struggling there right now. And so if you can work through organizations that support Haiti, I would encourage you to do that. From Nudge to Nonprofit, Haiti Alive is a nonprofit. It's not my problem, or is it, is the name of the book. Bruce L. Bloomer from T, South Dakota. I want to thank you for being with us on Forum. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.